Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. We are your all-inclusive, comprehensive, everything you could possibly want about horror, horror podcast. We are seeking to cover things from films, TV show, books, comic books, video games, uh, urban legends, urban legends, lore, lore, uh, haunted um, houses. Yeah, basically, we, we got you covered when it comes to anything scary. Anything spooky. Too spooky. Too spooky. Uh, this is our inaugural episode one podcast. Um, I am Melanie Moore. I am Craig Ranallo. Uh, and yeah, we, we've been screaming at each other about horror enough for so many years. <laughs> and Craig actually has a blog upon which this podcast is based. Splatterchatter.wordpress.com? Blogspot. Blogspot.com. Um, Splatterchatter.blogspot.com. Um which he will continue to post on there as well, I believe. Um, and we can give you all our contact information at the end of the podcast. Um, but basically, for this inaugural episode, we're just going to go through, give you an introduction on us, our history with horror, our top five, specifically our top five films, our top five books, um, our least favorite horror release this year, and what we were, oh. most, <laughs> what we were most excited about. Um, and we might nitpick each other's lists here and there. Um, but yeah, we're... Which is the beauty of doing a podcast with two people. Yes, yeah, know. yeah. I mean, for the most part, Craig and I kind of align, but then at the same time, we don't <laughs> on some we things. We um, But yeah. we, as far as credentials go, I mean, we, Craig has obviously had his blog spot for as long as I've known him. He's written about horror um <clears throat> we've both written um creative pieces about horror before um i've worked at two haunted houses though one of them was <laughs> one of them was a haunted mansion so probably not like a super haunted house <laughs> but uh one of them was actually scared well hey it, it, it scared our friends it uh, did, jamie and Brittany, <laughs> um pretty bad it did scare so. two grown women two two grown-ass women with college in their degrees. 20s threatened to end their friendship with me because <laughs> i was i was screaming at them during the Haunted Mansion ride. It wasn't even the ride. I, whatever. Yeah. whatever. So actually, yeah. So there's that. I also worked at a scare house, uh, an actual haunted house. And Craig and I have made a pilgrimage about once a year. I don't think we went last year. But, we um, missed it last year, which was, which was my fault because I was, I was moving and, and, and starting a new job, like a stupid adult or like something. Adult I don't know. Something. But yeah, uh, we make a, we make, we try to make a pilgrimage to scare house. Um, and I worked there for a bit. Uh, learned a bunch. Margie, Margie, Margie Kerr, who worked there, uh, and I think she might still. The um, she was a researcher, uh, sociologist for Scarehouse. Has a great book called Scream. Yeah. Um, plug that for you guys. Yeah, I'm gonna plug that for you guys because it's really great. I bought it for a friend and then read it myself and never gave it to her. Um, <laughs> but um, maybe she'll I'll give it to her eventually. I just haven't seen her since I bought it. But it's a great book about the science of fear, some spooky places she went to visit because she is obsessed with like studying fear and haunted houses and horror stuff and all this stuff. So there's your first plug uh, of anything <clears throat> on this podcast. But yeah, so um, Craig, do you want to start off talking about how, why, when, where? You yeah, I mean, so I guess the big question kind of at the top of this podcast, the creation of this podcast is like, why horror? Like, why are, not only why are we so interested in it, but like, why are so many people out there interested in it? And I 
think for me, I always approach horror as like, maybe not the only genre, but probably like one of the only genres when it comes to fiction that is going to, that gets like a physical reaction out of you. Um, because the aim of specifically horror films is to terrify, to shock, to disturb, to repulse, to entertain, to amuse you. And it can accomplish all these so many different things. So like, you're never just sitting in front of the screen, just like, like a dead eyed mm-hmm. fucking zombie or something. Shirley Jackson actually is a really good terror versus horror. Yeah. About, about the different responses you can get out of horror versus terror versus repulsion and that sort of thing. And it's like, what other, like, you know, maybe you watch like a really intense, you know, terms of endearment style drama <laughs> or something or whatever, and you start crying, but like the English patient, right? The English patient or something or whatever. But <clears throat> there's something there's a, I think there's a difference between some tears in your eyes or like mm-hmm. some chuckles during a comedy versus like hiding behind your, literally hiding behind yeah. your hands. And there's such a so spectrum scared. of responses too, because yeah. within horror, you've got dark comedy and black comedy, like kind of like what you've got with evil dead became where it started out being this horrifying film and then kind of turned into this campy, campy. satire of itself. Yeah. So you've got that going on. And then you've got something like um, Hellraiser where you've got just this complete body Gore horror, yeah, yeah. Like body horror, or you've got supernatural or like something in paranormal activity that relies completely on suspense. So yeah, I mean, it's, and it's, in, yeah, like that makes a good point. Cause if you look at comedy and all the different types of comedy people talk about, people don't really talk about the different types of horror. Like they just categorize it as horror or thriller. Right. And kind of, uh, put it away at that. But there's so many different responses you can get. Um, and something I probably talk about a lot just because I have a very visceral reaction to when people overuse jump scares mm-hmm. because jump scares while fun are easy. I mean, that is an There's, anatomical yeah. response in your body. Right. It's, it's kind of the cheap way to scare your audience. Yeah. Um, they don't necessarily have to be particularly creative, which is not to say that there aren't creative jump scares out there, mm-hmm. because I feel like they can be used yeah. really well if they're not overused. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's a flaw mainly in um, found footage, because that relies almost entirely on jump scares. Right. Because um, if you're committing hardcore to that found footage style, you're, you know, you can't have there can't be any music cues yeah. that you'll, you'll find in other films to let us know that something spooky is about to happen or, you know, so you... There's no real-life boss music video game when you run right? the corner and it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> where's, um, where's Bowser? Shit's about to go down. Um, but yeah, and that's something, again, I'll probably talk about this book a lot just because it's so good, but Margie Kerr talked about... Um, and I wrote an article, actually, it's not online... Um, but if you want it, I can send you a copy or put it out there. But uh, I wrote interviewing her about Scarehouse and about how she talked about um, specifically with jump scares in haunted houses, how different people respond. So there are people who love horror and people who don't want to go anywhere near it. Like, you know, and it's a very polarizing effect. Like you've got friends who are like, yes, let's go see this movie. And people who are like screaming in the haunted mansion while seven year olds can handle right. it. Right. <laughs> right. They know it's... who they are. Um, but the difference is in, is in how the amygdala, I can use big words, how the amygdala, big word, check, 
boom, we're good for the whole episode now. <laughs> um, how the amygdala responds. Because she described it as a sparkler versus a bottle rocket. People oh, who, yeah. So people who don't like horror, they will respond like a bottle rocket. Like all the hormones will release in an instant and they're like, all right, I'm done. This is stupid. I'm scared. People who, who enjoy horror, whose emotions and hormones kind of release like a sparkler, have this sort of gradual increase of suspense and tension and terror before it finally, you know, tapers off um, and that sort of thing. So I, you know, that's something interesting with the way you can craft jump scares, I feel like, that people don't pay attention to because I feel like they just boom, 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 boom Mm -hmm. with them. And then as you get through the movie, they kind of, you know, that's the early way to scare people. Right. And then as you go through, they they go away without really... Oh, well, in theory. In theory. They might not still, but they they become different. Like, in the beginning, it was cheap ways to scare you. Like, oh, you thought there was something here, but it was just a door slamming right. and that sort of thing. But as you go through, you know, pacing out your jump scares could really take advantage of people's, you know, hardwired anatomical responses to, to stimuli. That being said... Well, and I think there's a, a, a difference between how you use jump scares in a haunted attraction versus Mm -hmm. how you use them on film. Yeah. Well, and that's the interesting thing too. We'll probably get into, I guess closer to Halloween um, is the difference between specifically with us and scare house is the regular haunt, which is all jump scares. And then the basement, which is Mm -hmm. an immersive experience um, and what's kind of scarier and what's more. And it, it goes back, I think to Shirley Jackson's thing of horror versus terror. Horror is the, um, the fear and the repulsion basking in what has already happened. Terror is the possibility. The possibility of what could happen. Yeah. So for me, where I don't, it's funny because it's almost Freudian. <laughs> and I feel like there's a giant blank spot where I've missed why exactly I, I like hor- the, the horror genre. But when I was like, so between the ages of eight and 10, I, um, watched my very first horror movie i did see before that like snippets of like the haunting because my mom was watching it one day and i was like this is creepy by the haunting i mean the stupid 90s version not the Uh, the real the real 1960s version the one with um that 90s version owen wilson (laughs) um but anyway the very first horror movie i ever watched like sat down and watched was nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors Um, because we were bored one day and my cousin and I were rifling through her parents' film closet. And for some reason they had that, but not the first two. Sure. But that being said, I also only own Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed (laughs) and not the first Scooby-Doo. Um, so it's possible, much like Netflix, I can only have the sequels sometimes, but right. I watched it and <laughs> I totally forgot about, <laughs> about Scooby-Doo. Uh, right, Scooby-Doo. Um, anyway, that's on Netflix, by the way, both of them, I think are, um, six months, a solid six months to a year after watching this, I was petrified. Like I remember like being terrified of nighttime, being terrified to go to sleep. I would have to sleep in my mom's room. Like I was freaked the fuck out for a year probably. I was like convinced Freddy Krueger was like was coming for coming you, coming for me, and all this other stuff. And eventually, I don't know if that subsided or it went away. There's a blank spot in my brain, like <laughs> between then and like my first horror movie I ever saw in theaters was actually <gasps> Quarantine, which was the oh. the American remake of the yeah. Wreck or however you want to say the it. Poor, the poor man's wreck. Yeah, the poor man's wreck. Um, which I saw with a friend. Um. 
And, you know, from then on, it was like, okay, great, because he and I would actually end up going to see a lot of horror movies together in high school and stuff, like Paranormal Activity and um, Insidious um, and The Conjuring and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I don't, and that's, that's always the funny thing, because it's like, I love horror, I love reading horror novels, watching horror TV shows, films, what have you, but, like, I remember being, like, scared to death of Freddy Krueger, so I don't know if that was informative of it or what have you. Well... I think I think Freddie was a lot of people's introduction, mm-hmm. like our and our yeah age bracket. If you want to use the term millennials, go for it. Uh, Some people might. Uh, <clears throat> people are terrified of him mm-hmm. uh, still to this day. Um, and it's and I. Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? No, it's not. I was just like the thing about Freddie that I find so interesting is, and it possibly scared me even more is like when I was able to look up stuff about him and how Wes Craven kind of invented him and how he based it him on like real life fears and real life things. And I yeah. was like, this got more horrifying. Well, and even the real life case yeah. of those young men who were dying in their sleep without yeah. any explicable reason. And it yeah. was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, well, and I think horror specifically when it comes to Freddie, he's so terrifying, especially if you're introduced to him as a child, because your imagination is so much wilder. Mm-hmm. Any scary movie will probably spawn a nightmare and a child. But then you're watching a scary movie about this figure yeah. about nightmares. who can hurt you in your nightmares. Yeah. So it's like this extra it's, layer of And it's terrifying. such a clever way to completely do away with your safety net. Because it's like your constant reminder is it's a dream. It can't hurt me. And it's like, <laughs> surprise, bitch. Surprise, <laughs> bitch. Um... Yeah, and it was like, you know, and it's just his imagery, like the burn the burn victim look, the the claw hand. And I remember once being at an airport and somebody had like the fedora or whatever just sitting in the back of their car and I was convinced. I was like, like this is it. Like I was again like 12 years old, not quite out of my fear of Freddy phase. And like I saw this hat sitting in the back of someone's car. Specifically, I remember at an airport and I was like, Oh, this is I'm like, like this is how I go. This is how I go. This is yeah. Freddie is here. He is with me. This is actually a dream. Everybody else is probably terrified that the plane was going to go down, but you're like, no, <laughs> Freddie's got. I me. was like, Freddie's this here. Is it. <laughs> Freddie's among us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I and now like I love watching. Like I will, I can watch the first like all of them basically and be totally fine with it. And I think part of it is because I'm now at 24 years old at the mental capacity to say, okay, this probably isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, cause I, cause I watched, I forget when I watched the first one in full. I think I watched it on TV cause I don't think I would voluntarily watch it after that experience. But after I watched it, I was like, okay, I can deal with this. Um, and I actually watched the second one with Craig on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> one lovely summer night. And then right. obviously Freddy's the third one. One of the most homoerotic horror movies. Which is probably. You guys will find out there. A topic we will have later on is. Erotic horror movies because we will that does some de- some be a like subtopic trope or something. Oh yeah, but oh. yeah. So now I'm like, great, like let's do it. And even the remake. Um, and this is something I'll probably talk about because we'll probably do a remake podcast as well. With the thing with the Freddy Krueger remake is I appreciate it because it tried to get back to its roots. Um, because originally Freddy was supposed to be a child had- molester. Yeah. But well, and he had gotten so campy. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, in you know, yeah, uh, Dream Child, Dream and, Child, and, and um, Freddy's Dead. Yeah. Our, our final nightmare. Well, and even um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I mean, that even was a New Nightmare, creepy, but it was still 
playing on the tropes of Freddy It was Peter. like you could see them trying to move him back to yeah. that sinister yeah. inaugural version of himself. Which is why I appreciate the... <laughs> the remake making him like dangerous again um yeah and jackie earl haley did i mean i know a lot of people it's sacrilege to say i mean that robert it's england, not robert england but he gave his approval but you know what we're gonna have some controversial opinions on this podcast and you bitches can deal <laughs> that robert england now he's the talk of the town oh, he's the talk of the town um, and he is and he's great but yeah Jackie O'Haley did great in urban legends pretty good. oh my god professor um and i talked about it too actually in that classic Craig and I took together children and culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, about how, because we did this whole awful unit about how society <laughs> actually wants to experience. That whole class was awful. <laughs> society actually like thrives on stories of like child violence and that sort of thing, which whatever. But Freddy <laughs> Krueger, it was originally supposed to be a child molester because that was to... Wes Craven, the most horrifying thing you could be at the time, but um, there was a series of child molestations that were happening and they didn't want to be seen as taking advantage of that, so they changed him to just a child murderer. In the remake, he was back to being a very kind of vicious, not camping at all, predator figure. Um, But yeah, he's like the stuff, literally the stuff of nightmares for everyone because he is the ultimate personification of the boogeyman. Um, And I think that probably did play a role into me being like yes I do like horror once I was able to like rationalize it and analyze it and say why did it scare me so much and it's you know it's that sort of thing and I think if anything is going to be an introduction to horror and a love of horror it should be Freddy Krueger that's and I and maybe maybe that is why so like horror has such an avid and steadfast niche following maybe Mm -hmm. Freddy is this is the reason for that, or one of the big reasons for that. Yeah. Um, because so many people were introduced yeah, I mean, to him. I think if people think of horror, they think of Freddy Krueger. I mean, you're going to think of Jason, Michael, Freddy Krueger. The, the big three. Yeah. Um, and for me, actually, I, I think I met Freddy last mm. in terms of those big three yeah. because I, I'm, I was struggling since you mentioned it to, to remember the first horror movie I remember seeing it being scared by it. And I'm not sure, but I know that Halloween was early on mm-hmm. and Michael was my the stuff shape. of nightmares, <laughs> the shape, um, that, you know, emotionless William Shatner knockoff mask. Just <laughs> definitely <laughs> popping out at me in my dreams now and then. Um, wow. but yeah, I mean like, I think those three are, they're the big three for a reason. They're iconic for for a reason. Yeah. And which we will discuss. Oh, yeah. We've, got, we've literally got so much to... We I feel like so everything we say discuss. is we'll discuss later because there's... I know, right? There's a lot. And that, I think, is a testament to horror is the fact that you could... That you could... There's so many things you could you could talk about and say. and Even have an entire podcast just on Michael Myers' mask versus Jason's mask versus... You totally could versus the finger knives for Freddy. Yeah, something. yeah some, or the, the ghost face mask. Or the ghost face. Yeah, there we go. Um, there we go. But I guess... By the way, kids, there yeah. are 70 days till Halloween. Get excited. Countdown apps. Countdown apps. Countdown apps. If you go, if you are, live near Michael's, they already have their Halloween sections up. I went in and looked. <laughs> <laughs> to confirm. At the bookstore I work at, we already have our Halloween books in our seasonal section. 
I mean, I've seen Halloween candy at the grocery store. <sighs> candy corn. So get my ready sister, for pumpkin sister, everything. I was going to say, my sister's actually growing pumpkins in her backyard, so. Sure. It's great. <laughs> but um, I think I'm going to, I guess I'll start us off with, I guess, going down in descending order, our top five horror movies. Oh, boy. Now, I say take this All with right. a grain of salt. Because it is very hard for me to conjure up a top five, top three, anything on any I given agree. day. And this is basically the most, the most reoccurring of things I say when I'm bored, what do I want to watch? That's was, a good way to put was it. was kind of my metric. That's a good way to put it. And um, I, yeah. I'm so, I, I, I love lists. <laughs> I love everything about them. Um, if you guys aren't on Letterboxd, I'm going to plug Letterboxd.com oh for you. Letter boxd.com. That's a great place to make movie lists and keep track of what you're watching. Which is better than the hashtag seven fave films. It is. Go fuck <laughs> the hashtag. <laughs> um, I love lists, but then when it comes time for me to make them, I panic and I can't do it. Um, you forget everything you've ever seen or witnessed. Yeah. Or and then, like, you know, you an hour after we finish recording this, I'm going to be like, oh, why didn't I say, you know, whatever. But, um, but yeah. I've got five for the here and now, and I, and I love them. So I think that's we're going to have at least one that's the same. Not necessarily the same on our list, but I can guarantee you I'm pretty – well, two, actually. There's two that I think you and I have the same. But I'm going to start with number five. I feel like I know just what they are. Okay, go with your number five. <laughs> My number five is actually The Conjuring. Ooh. I, and, you know, I, I struggled with choosing The Conjuring or choosing, like, Poltergeist and Exorcist and the things that kind of basically are responsible for The Conjuring's existence. Sure. <clears throat> um, but the reason I went with The Conjuring is because I love The Exorcist and I love Poltergeist, but looked at in a retrospective lens, you can look at it and say, yes, I understand why this is scary, but by these standards, I look at it and say, this is a classic. This is a classic horror movie that's responsible for all these things. But for me, it's not as scary anymore. It's not as kind of chilling the way it was the first time I watched it. I have not seen the Poltergeist remake. I don't intend to. Uh, you're not missing. I worked at a movie theater. And that goes for all of you listening, too. If you haven't seen it, you're not missing much. I worked at a movie theater when it was out, and I actually didn't work the movie, and I took that as a sign that I shouldn't go see it. Yeah. Um, but the reason I love The Conjuring is because, you know, it, it uses all the best elements of kind of the demonic possession, supernatural 1970s horror films and kind of updates them a little bit without saying, oh, we're reinventing this. Like, it ignores, like if you even look at the opening credits of The Conjuring, it's The Exorcist on screen, yeah. basically, which I love, and it knows that, too. And that's why it did it. Um, you know, I wasn't a super fan of some of the the backstory mythologizing that they did with um, the the ghost and Bathsheba in the movie, but I love the way that I actually met Patrick Wilson for a hot second. Oh yeah, um, I remember that. But um, I love him. I love Vera. I love them as the Warrens. I love them in They're The Conjuring so too. Um, okay, can we just take a moment and recognize how solid The Conjuring two was? It was surprising. The only qualm I had was with that CGI scene of. Um, the crooked man i completely than, agree other than that i think it was a very well done film. and i said that said that to to my my boyfriend mr eric when he when used to follow we, me back on instagram by the way yeah <laughs> when we left i was like the one moment where i was taken out of the story was the crooked man Coming cgi alive, yeah. like turning from the dog into the spoiler alert guys but you know if you haven't seen it no. um but anyway <laughs> Um, back to the but amazing yeah, like, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. Yeah, like they are so, and this is the first time that the, the Warrens were actually portrayed 
in a movie about their their things because like people have made movies for decades about their cases you know amityville the haunting in connecticut like all these if you look at any famous haunting chances are the warrens were somehow involved but all these films that were made about them you know there was no representation of the Warrens. There was no mention of them. Like, if you look at any of the Amityville films, they don't ever mention the Warrens. They're not up. mentioned, yeah. Um, and this, so this was the first time that the Warrens were actually getting a a kind of big screen adaptation. And um, the wife is still alive. Um, yes. The husband is dead. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Patrick and Vera are just, and beyond even just horror and genre, they are just good in those movies, and they are excellent. They are, they are excellent together. Um, and the pacing of the film, the way the screenplay lays out these kind of two two different stories of two different families that eventually come together uh, in this farmhouse is just so well done. And the way the ending um, caps off with with the rec- with you know the, the the mom becoming possessed and having in the way that they go about getting her you know unpossessed or whatever you want to call it <clears throat> and it's not hokey and it's just it's so it's for a modern day horror film about what it's about it's shocking how good it is because yeah. everything if you if you say to someone okay modern day horror film about a haunted house and people and you know, these people go investigate it you know you can guess every single plot turn in that this was just so emotionally well crafted and the music in it is amazing as well um which is i think a staple of juan's stuff at this point like anything he directs like yeah like insidious insidious maybe not Saul, but (laughs) well i think before he that's almost like a it's so strange in a way to kind of think that he did both Mm -hmm. because they're such very different films which was his intention when he yeah. went into the conjuring um he had said i want to see if i can scare people without a single drop of blood which the, and that's the other um, thing too is like i don't mind things like saw where it's like yes like there is merit in in body horror and gore and that sort of thing with conjuring there's absolutely none it was and there wasn't even any really jump scares in in the conjuring like there's one or two maybe that i can think of like the clapping scene and that's about it but the the clapping scene and um there's a couple doors that slam yeah. On that I, sort of thing. I, I'm pretty sure that's it, though. But, no, it's just such a well-crafted... And I think the reason it goes on my list all the time, and I constantly want to, like, try and get people to watch it, is because it's so much better than I thought it was going to be, and it's so much better than you think it's going to be. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a great film, but in 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 the realm of what we have to work with, for me, it's definitely one of my top fives. Do you I want to do your twice. top five? We can Excellent. switch off. Yes. All right. Yeah. So, for my five... Um, the thing. Uh, Interesting. John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, the original, obviously, from 1982. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, which technically, if you want to get technical out there, um, it's not the original original. It's technically a remake. We're talking about the poster that's in the, the bedroom thing of the world. Of oh, Stranger yeah. Things. Yeah, yeah a Stranger thing Things. Plug for Stranger Things. If you haven't watched it yet, check it out. Um... It's just one giant love letter to like everything Craig worships and stands his life. for. <laughs> Steven Spielberg, John Carpenter, eighties, you know, horror, Stephen King, sci-fi, it's amazing. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So the thing, I, I love the original. I watch it like at least three times every winter. I watch it during the big snowstorm in January. Um, Your cousin told me to watch it during the big snowstorm, <laughs> Chris. Amazing. <laughs> because it's an excellent choice. He, he made a comment on my Facebook. 
<laughs> I watched. I didn't watch it, but I did watch The Shining, which is also another yeah amazing choice to watch. But just if there's noise, my neighbors are moving. I apologize. <laughs> if there's crashes. <sighs> My neighbors have lately been really wanting to get some art up all over the <laughs> There's some hammering to the ends of the earth. Decor. Um, the decor. That, but I don't think they're doing that today. So if there's any noise over on my end, it's probably just me setting my beer bottle down. Um, like so. So the thing, you know, it's, class, it's classic Carpenter. It, it was when he was at his peak. Mm-hmm. And I love any sort of isolation horror. Yeah. I love when you just take a set amount of characters. It has such a built-in tension. You put them, yeah, we're somewhere where no one else can reach them. They can't reach anybody else. And you just let things unfurl. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. It does have, it. there's so much tension right off the bat because they're literally in the most isolated place on the planet. Yeah. They're, they're in Antarctica. Like, yeah. wh- wh- there's, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> you have to go like down to go back around and up or <laughs> so and and just even if you take away the threat of the monster, the creature, the alien, the thing, whatever you want to call it, there's st- you still have a horror movie there mm-hmm. with the the cabin fever and the paranoia. Well, and it's just like the shining. Yeah. Where you take away the one scene where the freezer door opens on its own and you've got completely psychological horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's and that's really what it is. I mean the special special effects, you know, which are all practical and, and brilliant, um are, are totally creepy, like, you know, like the crawling head and <laughs> um they take up <clears throat> the dog and stuff or whatever. But really it's a slow build. Um, it's all about the psychological fuckery that Carpenter can do to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, it's kind of like a locked room Agatha Christie because most of the movie like becomes this question of like who's infected and who infected so and so. I mean, that scene where McCready has you know Kurt Russell's character has them all tied up mm-hmm. and he's testing the blood samples. Like, oh my god, that's yeah. just like. Well, and it's like the perfect blend of something like The Shining and isolation horror with something kind of more supernatural and classical with like the Lovecraftian aspect because it's kind of like very at the mountains of madness Mm -hmm. where you're in Antarctica and you're, you know, digging something creepy and primal out of the ice. Something otherworldly is here. It's been unleashed. It's, it's, it's the threat. And then, and you know, I'm a, I can be a a dark motherfucker. So I like Uh my, my, um somewhat bleak endings mm. and and not a lot of people out there like this but i like open-ended um conclusions if they're done well and and the thing has one of the most haunting endings in mm-hmm. horror i think where all we're left with the station is burning down it's just the two men in this you know my child's child's and mccready in the snow we don't know if one of them's infected we know that as soon as the fire goes out they're going to die. And we just, that the score, I mean, the music that just pulses when we end there, mm-hmm. it still just like leaves me unsettled every time I see it. Yeah. No, that is a, that is a very good one. And it's so unique too. Cause if you look at, cause you know, looking at the conjuring that you can pinpoint 
the exact horror tropes that inspired it. But the thing, it's so kind of a unique, because you can say The Shining is like it, and these various things are kind of like it, but like being stalked by a creature in Antarctica and and sort of this survivalist stuff with it. Like it's just, yeah, it's, it's survivalist horror. It's eco horror. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so many things that it accomplishes yeah. at once. Yeah. Um, it's very iconic too. Kurt Russell kicks ass. So. <laughs> so for my number four, I was debating and I might end up talking about both real quick. The official one I have written down is scream. Oh, but my I... thing is, is I don't really consider scream a horror movie. <laughs> Some people might. I consider it kind of a meta horror parody. Um, Craig and I and our friends have like an obsessive need to constantly watch Scream. Because um, I think it's one of the greatest commentaries on horror. One of the most well-crafted films about horror. Because I don't even want to say, it's not a, like, yes, it's a slasher film, but it's not really. Like, it's it's a giant documentary about slasher films in the form of a two-hour dramatization in my opinion. But I love it. I love... And even, like, number three, which was... Yeah, like, I love them all. Yeah. Craig got me number four for Christmas a few years yeah. back. And the, the book about it. But um, my other one that I had for number four was um, the original Town That Dreaded Sundown. Oh! Yeah. See, this is one of the ones where I'm like, oh, I should have put that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why uh-huh. I was like, I don't know which one. I mean, if I had to pick... The thing is, is, like, on any given day, I'm more likely to watch Scream than the town that... The town that... Dreaded Sundown. Yeah, Scream is, I think, it's very much one of those comfort yeah. horror movies. It's just there's, something, there's something about slashers. I feel like I yeah. can watch a slasher at any point if I just want something to watch. Yeah. Probably well, just because there's no formula. If you use, as much as I hate to reference it, the Scream TV show, as they mentioned, that slasher films burn bright and fast because they mm-hmm. get to their point, they make it, and then they're done. So it's kind of instant gratification with the slasher genre. But these are both slasher films. I mean, Town That Dreaded Sundown is arguably the first slasher based on real events, too. Mm-hmm. And the remake is actually super interesting because it's about a copycat killer who saw the original Who's Town That Dreaded Sundown right. and said, oh, I'm going to do that, too. Um, for those of you who use Netflix, um, Killer so this Legends. So this is like your meta entry. Yeah. Scream yeah, number four is all down. about meta horror for me. Yeah. Killer Legends, this amazing documentary. Sometimes uh, plays it out, on, guys. Yeah, sometimes plays on Chiller, um, is on Netflix, um, is about the, the real life um, uh, inspirations from four different urban legends. One of them is The Man with the Hook for a Hand, which was inspired by this guy known as the Phantom Killer in Texarkana, Texas um, back in the 1950s who committed a series of like Lover's Lane murders, or I guess it was just one, but they never caught him. But he inspired the killer in the town that turned yeah, One on Lover's Lane and then a couple other yeah. slayings. Obviously the famous one is the Lover's Lane one, and that's where yeah. we get the hook for the hand. Um, where we kind of take that from. Trope from. But that was the killer, the phantom killer in Texarkana inspired um, the killer, who I think was still referred to as the phantom killer in Town That Dreaded Sundown. Yes. Um, Because that's presented as kind of like a documentary style film. But the ending of it, because, you you know, you mentioned this is a great leading because you talked about open-ended endings. The way it's focused in on his shoes and it says the killer may still be walking among us. And it's just the view of these man's shoes like waiting in line for a movie. 
And it's just so influential on the horror or on the uh, slasher genre. <clears throat> like basically anything you can go back to the town that dreaded sundown. And oh, it's, it's even creepy referenced. As fuck. It's creepy as fuck. And it's also referenced in Scream. Um, but and then that that one famous iconic death scene where he takes the trombone, trombone and ties the girl to the tree and just originally that was based on a real girl who died, but she played the saxophone. They changed it for artistic purposes which is neither here nor there but um well and i think that's a it's such a great choice i'm so glad you mentioned it because mm-hmm. it's so the way it's filmed too is yeah. so gritty mm-hmm. and it's not even that just like the style of the film was meant to evoke a documentary it it generally just feels and looks like that yeah. too. And with that, um, the because very, it's very, very low budget. And that um, very well done narration where with that, I don't know yeah. who the narrating voice actor was, but he was like, you know, he may still be walking among the residents of Texarkana. And it's like, holy right. crap. It's and, kind of like that, that, that creepy, like old school, yeah. you know, narrator voice. Where like in, in all the kind of parody of horror films where they pop up with the question mark at the end of the movie, right. where it's like, is it? Um, is it? But, but this uh, actually was the case. Yeah. And that's the thing is they never did catch the Phantom Killer. Um, and and it's such like a you know as gritty and awful as it is there's such a testament to like why i think horror persists in the way it does because this was based on a a real you know series of murders and we turned it into an entire genre of horror based on it you know it's it's interesting the way you know like the cliche saying like life mirrors art and art mirrors life but that was the entire point of this documentary that went over the the history of the man with the hook for the hand and the fan killer is that there are real things that inform, and the same thing with, with Nightmare on Elm Street. There was real things in, in Wes Craven's life that informed these horrible boogeyman characters. And I think mm-hmm. Town That Dreaded Sundown is such a perfect example of that. So, number four is Scream slash The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Excellent choice. <laughs> Excellent choice. Snuck another one in there. <laughs> Cheater. Yep. Um... But yeah, you guys check out check out that Killer Legends documentary mm-hmm. if Very you're. Good. They also did the Cropsy documentary. They did, yeah. One. The same same people, Rachel Mills Something. and Joshua. No. Uh, sorry, Joshua, I can't remember your last name. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, those you, two you in that kind of like, where do our nightmares come from? Yeah, the how Mel was talking about life mirrors art, art mirrors life. Both of those, I believe, are still on Netflix, so. I hope so. Yeah. The other one was on, the Killer Legends was just on um, Chiller the other day. If you live in the United States, Chiller, great network to check out for kind of classic horror, B-horror, and like gem horror, because they don't show a lot of mainstream stuff, but they will show you like Leprechaun 3. And And sometimes you just need to watch Leprechaun 3. Yeah. Oh, they also had their very their somewhat successful first bid at a um, TV series with Slasher. Yeah, Slasher. We'll have to talk about that in a future yeah. episode. Because um, I'm not sure if they're doing a season two, but that was a uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know, but that was interesting. All right, so my number four. Wow, look at us. <laughs> Only a number four. Okay. Yeah. My number four is a somewhat of an of an indie film it's it's gotten more of a cult following i've noticed in the last couple years which makes me happy um it's a film called session nine interesting um i was not expecting that by brad anderson who 
he did the the Machinist and um, a, some Netflix horror film called Stonehurst Asylum, which is basically just a rip off of Shutter Island. <laughs> Aww. So you know, you know, but this, if you don't know, um, it's this insanely creepy movie about these this three man asbestos cleaning crew who are sent out so to ghost adventures. So goes <laughs> they're sent out to this abandoned mental hospital to remove the asbestos. I don't know why you need to remove it from an abandoned mental hospital, but you know <laughs> the, that's, the rats. That's besides <clears throat> And you know, true to abandoned mental hospital tropes, formulas. <laughs> formulas. Um, it's insanely creepy, and. You know, our our gentlemen, our our main characters, they might not be as um, mentally hinged as we would like them to be. I can see where this is going already. And so, you know, you've got our one friend who sneaks back into the asylum at night and he's trying to, like, uncover some, you know, trinkets and stuff that he can pawn. You have our, our main character who's... Um, something has happened domestically in the past, you know, and he's super upset and da 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 da. And um, and then we have our our skeptical friend who finds these tapes in the basement. Never good. Recordings of sessions with a child patient who resided at the asylum, you know, and there's eight. There's eight tapes for eight or nine tapes for nine sessions. And so throughout the movie, you know, whenever he finds time, he's listening to them and we're listening to this, this girl and her two and her split personalities basically. Mm. And there's, they start telling us this story about some tragedy that happened in her past that was perpetuated by a personality of hers called Simon. But Simon refuses to come out and talk to the psychologist and then slowly but surely you start to realize that that story is being mirrored in the story of the asbestos workers. And it's insanely creepy. It is all about mood. If you are, if you like your horror to be fast and gritty with blood and guts, you know, spraying within the first 15 minutes, this is not for you. But well, if, I feel like that's the thing with the asylum horror is never about... That's such a specific trope within a yeah, trope. Yeah, it is. And I've never seen asylum horror done better than in Session 9. I mean, the dread mm-hmm. that you feel. Um, it's filmed beautifully. It's acted beautifully. The writing is really solid. And um, God, it's creepy as fuck. I can't talk too much more about it without spoiling it. It, um, That's the other nice thing about this is we're giving you recommendations if you haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Check out session nine. There's so much to talk about it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop myself now before I <laughs> ramble any further. But um, maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode. Session nine. So my number three. This is one of the ones that I'm pretty sure Craig. I can guess the place. I think he has this on his <laughs> list. But for me, it's number three. Uh, it is Halloween. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, just. Oh, what? Halloween? I'm so surprised. Oh, no. <laughs> um, if nothing else, just that iconic music. I mean, nothing says October like 
like Halloween, like that Halloween music, all of it. Um, And it's one of those rare horror films with the exception of Halloween three season of the witch, where the sequels actually like work for the most part in, in what they're doing about the story. I mean, even as like as Halloween H2O, like it's still like a well, like, you know, I'm interested in, I mean, this mythology. And this was the first time you kind of had like with, um, Town the Dreaded Sundown, you had your first kind of serial killer slasher um, horror film. With Halloween, it was the first time there was kind of like, <clears throat> not in the first one so much, but in the entire franchise, the first time you had kind of the slasher backstory and like the very creep, creepy kind of, um, it's almost like a combination of like Hades and Persephone and Phantom of the Opera kind of level of obsession for, for Michael Myers and Laurie Strode and just this very creepy last girl the 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 killer is obsessed with her mentality that is you know played upon in in scream later but you know there's which which was really i feel like you know you you can trace and you can make arguments where did the slasher film start you know town that dreaded sundown is a good argument um the original black christmas Mm. 1974 which they remade yeah avoid the remake don't cut out there don't come at me with the remake because i will <laughs> slap you so hard um or you could argue that that there were traits of the slasher and psycho but mm-hmm. i feel like halloween was that is the modern slasher it's the modern slasher and it, and it gave us our formula yeah. it gave us the young group of kids it gave us the final girl who fights back the obsession the the, the sex equals death the- right all the the rules that get fucked with in scream um or i guess maybe more so scream 4 but but Screen you know, and what was brilliant about Halloween, you know, before the mythology was added, that now that everyone's so familiar with, with in Halloween 2, it was completely random. Yeah. Um, Michael targets these babysitters just because. Yeah, because he, he escapes from his, his yeah. institution and, you know, he's being hunted by his doctor and the police and then he just goes for it. Yeah. On this this one random block on Halloween night. And I mean, that's like the ultimate fear of Halloween night is that some random psycho just picks you. Takes like, it too far, yeah. Out of, for no, yeah, just out of no no reason, no rhyme, just there's a crazy person on the loose on Halloween night. Like, like how, how terrifying. How and it's, traditionally it, horrifying. It's middle America, it's the suburbs, it's everything that, you know, we all... That petrifies us all. And on top of that, going back to to Killer Legends, it's, you know, the babysitter and the man upstairs. You know, it's this babysitter who is tasked with keeping track of these children and you've got this killer on the loose and it's kind of, you know, reminiscent of um, the fears of when a stranger calls. You know, have you checked the children? You know, now you're you're responsible in this separate third-party environment for these, these other people and it's just completely a combination of everything horrifying that you could possibly think of yep so and um and just iconic to boot yeah i mean the look at look at uh i mean michael is still look how many people still dress up him as halloween yeah. you know um how many times do you see his face you know on or you hear that that music is on various halloween decorations mm-hmm. you hit the button and it plays the halloween music the halloween the halloween theme and um 
And all the other slashers he's, you know, inspired over the years. Yeah. Maybe Anything with a mask. the wrong word, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, any serial killer with a mask, you know, Michael Myers. Although you could, you know, you could look at Town the Dreaded Sundown yeah. where he has the bag over his head. Yeah. Which is... I mean, that's the thing, is obviously... Very Michael and very Jason. There's subjective... Jason. There's subjective um, ways to look at what inspired what. But if you were to pick a handful of films and say these created the slasher genre, it would be Black Christmas, The Town of the Dreaded Sundown, and Halloween. And Halloween, for sure. For so. sure. <clears throat> All right. All right. So my number three is... Um, Another lesser-known horror film um, out there that I think more people should watch, and I hope you all do, um, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Interesting. Uh, I have not seen that one, but I've heard of it. Really, really amazing. Um, 1975, Australian film. They're always Australian, I feel like. You know, every time I'm on Chiller, they're playing an Australian horror film. <laughs> they make some solid horror films. Yeah. Um, directed by Peter Weir and um, based on the um, based on the based on the novel. novel. I can't think of the author's name right now. Uh, we'll put it in the, the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, but it's this. Amazing story. It's turn of the century, um, Australia. Um, girls at a boarding school. Might, yeah, might. Um, you know, well, young, wealthy girls from England. Um, on Valentine's Day, they're given permission to go on a field trip to Hanging Rock. Um, couple of the girls go off while everybody else is enjoying the picnic and they climb the rock and they vanish. Um, they completely disappear. Teacher goes to find them and she disappears too. And then this one girl, she comes back down the mountain and she's, it's one of like the most chilling, bone chilling screams I've ever heard in a movie. And she, she just, she just screams. And there's this amazing shot where the camera just like freezes on her, but we hear the scream. Ah, it's amazing. Um, but Picnic and Hanging Rock is very much like Session 9 in that it's beautifully, beautifully shot. I mean, the cinematography is incredible and it's deep and layered and it's all about the slow horror that builds and how the disappearance of these girls completely unravels this community. Um, it's a really smart film. You could get super academic about it. Um, you know, like there's a colonialism undertones that are going on. There's a lot about, um, like women's sexual liberation. Um, and you know, during the turn of the century in the 1900s and stuff or whatever, but it's, it's a really, really gorgeous movie. It's, it's a movie that gets under your skin and kind of refuses to give you answers to the questions it poses. But for me, that's what makes it all the more disturbing yeah. because I'm left to wonder and, you know. Like, I think the ones where you... The most? The unknown. I think the ones where you walk out at the end and you can have a debate about what actually happened or what it's supposed to mean are the best. I mean, like, that's the thing with The Shining, too, is you can debate all day long about <clears throat> the exact role supernatural elements played in the film. Like, the 
the the weird layout of the hotel and that sort of thing. And that's something I think people don't horror doesn't sit well with them because they are a good horror film is going to have an open ending. So I, you know, that's something that I think people, you know, it's so polarizing to say, like with the thing, like, you know, did they make it out? Did they not? What happened? And that sort of thing. And I love the films where they don't, you know, it's not showing the monster. It's not answering questions. Um, it's asking the questions and not answering them. So. Yeah. <clears throat> and that is, if you like that kind of stuff, if you like films where you can debate and wonder and, and, and write and, you know, discuss online, this is the film for you. Um, it's haunting. It's very dreamlike. Um, enigmatic and I mean spoilers but not really I feel like the way I've been talking about it we're not given an answer Mm -hmm. about why they disappeared you could argue that there's enough clues to provide it to piece it together yourself but um the the options are open all right so top final countdown my number two is another one that i think craig has on his list i'm pretty sure somewhere if not i know he loves this movie anyway is uh trick-or-treat oh yes yes my number two um ultimate halloween movie for me it's an anthology horror film by michael doggerty that tells a story of i think it's like four or five different groups on halloween night and they interact with each other at different points and intertwine but it's you know all these things where it's um the loner old man at the end of the street who's like grouchy and hates everyone this principal who's doing some nefarious things in his backyard a group of girls going to a halloween party um and the youngest one is trying to have her quote first time whatever that may mean um a group of kids who play a prank that goes too far um all these kind of halloween tropes are wrapped up into one movie and it's all threaded together by this character sam who's this little kid um, dressed as kind of like a weird pumpkin ghoul for Halloween who's just present at every single one of these these stories. And it's such a well-put-together film. That's um, so great. It's, it's like a series of short stories, um, you know, adapted beautifully and seamlessly as a, as a film. Um, I believe he did do a graphic novel series of this before he did the, the movie. He turned it yeah. from a graphic novel series into the film. Supposedly he's doing Trick or Treat Do. He's been saying that for a few years now. But um, Please, please, we need a sequel. It's such a good horror movie because for me, Halloween is like the ultimate thing. So the fact that it revolves around Halloween and kind of the rules of Halloween and kind of everything you could imagine would go wrong on Halloween night, um, kind of like Halloween. Um hmm is big for me um it's just and it's not even that it's even that scary i mean i think it's almost more comedic at at times than it is scary i mean there's scary stories there's scary town lore um there's obviously some murders that happen a little bit of gore but for the most part you know i wouldn't classify it as a super spooky super scary horror movie it's just so well crafted in mood and tone and and the colors used in the cinematography is just fantastic it's very much like Halloween as a movie. Yeah. Like, just the holiday, yeah. just on screen. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't seen it and you love Halloween, which hopefully you do, otherwise I don't know why you're listening to this, <laughs> but it's, it's a mood setter. I mean, mm-hmm. 
like I watch it every year. Yeah, I mean, and it's definitely got a huge cult following. It was originally going to be released in theaters. It ended up being a direct-to-video release, but it's got this huge following. Oh my god, um, I can still remember like being in high school and like religiously following the development mm-hmm. of Trick or Treat and like when is it going to come out? When is it going to come out? And um, as somebody who worked at Scarehouse, which Michael Doherty is all but now partnered with, um, it became a big thing about two seasons ago for Scarehouse, um, the inclusion of Sam and a couple other characters in The Haunt. So it's just literally Halloween, the movie. And if you ever want to sit around a campfire and tell spooky stories, you know, this is literally that as a film. So it's like an adult Goosebumps or um, Are You Afraid of the Dark kind of. So, which no that maybe you know what maybe, that might have been one of my earliest introductions to horrors are you afraid of the dark are you afraid of the dark definitely scared yeah. the shit out of me but we moved on from that <laughs> and, um, um my number two which has already been discussed um or we've already referenced quite a bit today uh the shining mm. um that the shining is you know definitely top two for me when it comes to horror but gosh probably like top top three or five for just films in general mm-hmm. um amazing cinematography um the, I, I know stephen king hates it but <sighs> the story the story is is rendered beautifully and i like i can think of few other films where i'm genuinely unsettled from the opening credits. Um, you know, when we're doing that slow crawl yeah. with them up the mountain. In the, in the bug car, the beetle. Yeah. And, and you know, and the, when we glide out over, over the lake and stuff or whatever, the music and the way it's shot, you're just like, oh, shit. Like, things are about to happen up here and they're not going to be good. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I love anything, any sort of isolation horror and um, anything that plays on that fear of being alone and being trapped and, and what that can do to you. Yeah. There's so much to talk about with The Shining. And Watch the documentary. We still have more to talk about. So, oh my God. <laughs> if you're a fan of The Shining, you know what? Even if you're not. <laughs> this documentary I believe it's still on Netflix Room 237 we're not we won't even say anything about it just go in with a clear just check it out just watch it yeah just watch it so um yeah yeah so we'll say The Shining and then we'll we'll move on let's move on so my number one is one that is also kind of I think a polarizing thing people either love it or hate it for me I completely love it is Blair Witch I knew it. Yep. So, first of all, I knew, I knew the woods was going to end up being a Blair Witch movie because I remember reading it and I was like, this sounds exactly like Blair Witch. But I was like, whatever. Well, and, and, and like so many people, like people in the horror community, I feel like they were calling them on their shit and they were like, is this a Blair Witch you know, literally, see, we play which see, and they said no, no. We know and, what studio we are. the The poster looked identical to the Blair Witch poster. You're calling it the Woods. It's about a missing film crew in the wood. Like, c- 
come on. You thought you were so... And, ugh, they followed me on Twitter after I raged about them. And I was like, that was not the intention of my rant. Yeah. But point is, I'm not happy about they're finally being a remake, reboot, whatever you want to call it. Because it's incredibly stupid. Know, what are they officially calling it? They're calling it a reboot, but it's a sequel. Yeah, well, they can Because it is about the brother of um, one of the missing hikers going to try and find said missing hiker our original characters our original characters from Blair Witch yes 20 plus years later he's like wait I have a sister she went missing I should go I find she's her still out there we have to go later. Yeah, we have to yeah, go okay. find Heather so freaking Heather so I got news for you <laughs> Blair Witch is just this is something else you could write pages and pages about because they this was the first virally, virally marketed film in history. I mean, there are others that you could argue did the, you know, used elements of it, but this is the first time a film used the internet to market itself. Because it was 1999, it was right on the cusp of, of, of you know, the internet of viral marketing. It created this fake website where it talked about these missing hikers, you know, it used no-name actors so that, you know, you Google them. If Google was a thing in 1999, you couldn't find any information about them. It pretended they were missing because at screenings of the film, they handed out flyers saying, have you seen this person? They created a fake documentary to go along with the fake mythology of the film. Half the people in the film who were interviewed... And some of them, the movie itself is like a fake documentary. Yeah, and so yeah, it's, like, it's the original kind of you like know, documentary. You're, you're, you know, you were... It was this thing in the 90s where everybody was getting super meta with horror. Yes. And um, yeah. they were part of that. But they did it well. Yeah. And, you know, the way they filmed it, it was complete improvisation. They were told by the end of the day they had to get to a certain point in the woods. They were basically handed compasses and told, go this way for a mile. We're going to film or film each other and have interactions as the characters you are. So they're really screaming at each other. They're really freaked out. Because the crew is actually harassing them at any given right. point during the night. Like, it's just the way they filmed it, the fact that there's no jump scares in it, the fact that there's basically no, like, there's one scene where the guy's teeth are pulled out and you see the teeth, but there's basically no gore. The ending is very open. Like, you're never shown the Blair Witch, the monster, you're never shown anyone dying. And you have such this creepy, creepy last image of, um, I forget which oh. one, but I think it's Mike, yeah. facing the corner of, of the basement, and you hear Heather just scream and drop the camera, and that's the last image you see, and then it goes out, and it, there's no music, and it's just so well-crafted for, like, found footage, for mockumentary style, for meta-horror, like, I just love everything about Blair Witch, I show people Blair Witch all the time, um, I have friends who still think sometimes they're like, yeah, wasn't that a real movie? And I like let them run with it for uh, why not right? for the duration of it because it's fun. Because nothing like that's ever going to happen again. No. Um, just the way the internet has changed, the way people use it. Like we're all too internet savvy. Yeah. You know, you can't. You, you can't. can't you, you can't, can't keep, fool people like that. You can't again. keep this kind of shit yeah. secret. Look, they they tried to do it again with. It works so well. Woods. I'm so surprised that the woods is actually so, Blair Witch. Uh, said no one. Said no one. <sighs> yeah, but that's the thing: is this movie came out at such a perfect time, used the technology it had in such an innovative way, and it it holds up so well. It's because yeah. it doesn't use CGI. It doesn't use jump scares. You know. The acting, the interactions, the characters, like the way the tension rises throughout each night as things get kind of creepier and creepier. Like it's all it's such an awesome film. It's 
it's and it's so different than than most things out there in horror. I mean, obviously now found footage is everywhere, but if you take all those away, you know, and look at horror and Blair Witch, it's so unique. So agreed. And I knew it was going to be your number one. Yep. <laughs> Um, and, and Mel called it earlier. She didn't know where it was going to be on my list, but my number one is uh, Halloween. Yep. Yeah. And I've, you know, I, I've talked to your, your, your guys' ears off enough about it this episode. You know, it was my introduction to horror. Um, the, the, it's terrifying. Um, the randomness in the first one, um, it's just, and it's brilliant. And that music is mm -hmm. an essential down my spine. Yeah. day I die. Yep. I was one time in a Target. It was like nine o'clock at night around Halloween. It was like September, October. And I guess somebody had been messing in the Halloween aisle because the song started playing off one of the toys, but I could see nobody around. And I was like, what? Like, this is it. This is me dying in Target. But yeah, dying like Target. that's. And then Michael comes around the corner and. It's a kid in a Michael Mask lid. It's like, I take it as... I would still run. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I'm out of time. I mean, hey, I, we, the opening, Michael was a kid when he killed his sister. This is true. That is the opening. He's looking through the eye holes of, of his first mask. The eye holes, which is not the first time that happened, by the way. People who are like, oh, it was the first time we were through the... the we saw it through the peeping, killer's eyes. No, Tom. it was Peeping Tom. Um, in Ghostface voice, the first time they put you in the killer's point of view. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ghostface voice. <clears throat> okay, so we got through our top five. Yeah. We might speed through the books a little bit just because we, I've got to, yeah, I mean. We might have we to. Might. Do we want to save that? We can. Um, I've got a list prepared, but we can save that for a more intensive discussion on top five books. Since we're keeping, I, I feel like this the, the theme of this is movies, so we can move into we'll do our, our least favorite so for future, yes. we have we have lists crafted, and we'll do a lot of future stuff about horror as a genre in literature because that is a different animal entirely. But um, least favorite horror release this year, Craig. For me, it had to be Lights Out. Mm -hmm. I was so disappointed. Yeah. Um, I had such high expectations. Um, the the original short. That, that he had made on YouTube was like one of the creepiest horror shorts out there. Mm -hmm. um, simple, effective. Um, and, and it just, oh my God, it did not, it did not translate well into a whole featured thing. Um, it was short. Wasn't it only 70 minutes? It was, it was very short. Yeah. And that, I mean, I don't know. I didn't see it yet. So. Maybe chalk that up to him being a first-time director, or 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 what, or, or, or there are honestly, Disney movies that enough, are longer than that. <laughs> I don't think there was enough story there. Yeah, um, and the stories that was there, he really it was really really rushed. Um, the the monster, you know, the the creature, dog, ghost, whatever she is, she's revealed way too early. Hmm. Um, there's like all this convenient stuff that happens about her backstory that's like right at their fingertips. Um, there's this part where she needs to access, um, uh, mental records. Oh, you told uh, me about Patient this. records from, from this girl who, you know, was kept in a mental institution as a child and they just happened to be in her house because her, 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 her father, her, her stepfather, I can't remember, was like also conveniently researching this. Conveniently like, the prescribing doctor. 
need to get sealed medical records for a child. Like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, and it was, it was a little bit creepy because, you know, it, they were trying to play on that basic human fear of where humans are afraid of the dark and we well, always have been. Didn't you say, too, this is, and this is a pitfall of many horrors, that pretty much every scare was in the trailer. Oh, yeah. They showed you the scariest parts in the whole trailer. Yeah. Um, the the whole opening scene is is probably the creepiest part. Um, it, the the guy, so, the dad character, he's in the mannequin yeah. warehouse, ever, and um, that that's that's pretty much it. It was very much like um like a modern day, you know, ghost horror. It's good for something to go see if you're doing like a dinner and movie or something. It's, it's popcorn. Apps. Fun, but I, I guess I just I had high had high hopes for this one. When you're looking at horror films analytically, and something like, especially something that was so like anticipated, it was so anticipated, out. and it you know with mainstream horror this year, I mean the good the good stuff is really indie, but yeah. I feel like this year in particular, the witch was very good. The witch was very good. Um, it's a Canadian indie. It was film. just like I wanted this to be like kind of that one good mainstream horror film we were going to walk away with because you know like the boy was not very good and and the darkness with kevin bacon was not very good oh boy so <clears throat> but you know so I, i'm gonna go with lights out that's my mm-hmm. least favorite of the year um no yeah. so mine i wouldn't even i don't even know to classify it as horror but it kind of it's thriller suspense so i'll put it in there and it's because it's the sequel slash franchise successor to a horror movie that a lot of people liked which is 10 cloverfield lane my issue with this film is their need to turn it into a cloverfield franchise film because it was based on a screenplay that was about a man who kept these people locked in his bunker claiming that the world had ended and you didn't know and that's like what happens in the movie you don't know if he's just crazy if he's keeping them prisoner if the world has actually ended you're not sure that I love. Like, the idea yeah. of that is so, you know, it's exactly what Craig was saying with everything. It's isolation. It's psychological. It's great. The problem I had with this movie was the need to turn it into something. Cloverfield, <laughs> the fact that at the end, spoiler alert, I don't even care about spoiling you, she breaks yeah. out of her bunker and has a fight with an alien and all this other stuff. And it's like, are you And you find out he was me? right. Yeah. yeah, you find out, okay, yes, it was true. The world was ending. He was, But doesn't that completely negate all the creepy crap that John Goodman was doing when... Right, it, like, it absolves him of still, like, yeah, cause he was, kidnapping. Yeah, because he kidnapped these- this girl because he thought... Because he's got, like, this obsessive need to replace his daughter who died. So he's got this girl it's and... like, well, well, that dude, that's not your call. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so the, the world's com- ending. Deal with your own shit. Like, the complete isolationism. And it's interesting because I, um, when I was in college, somebody in one of my playwriting classes wrote this really great one-act play about a family locked in a bunker where the dad basically was doing the same thing, where he was super mm-hmm. paranoid and keeping them down there. I don't know which one of you in my class wrote it. It was good, though. Um, but the, the dad kept the kids and the family in the bunker and they were having this family drama while trapped inside of a bunker. Like that, I think is such a brilliant plot idea. And especially with the way it, in horror, the way, um, <clears throat> it, it was used before it turned into fucking aliens and JJ Abrams and Cloverfield. Right. Like that was it's such like the, a bummer. Like the way it's it like ended. the dark prequel to Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. Like, 
<laughs> it was so like the concept and the music and the way that they portrayed their interactions in the bunker were so good. But as soon as they got into like the aliens have taken over and blah, blah, blah. And here's an alien robot waiting outside to kill you. It's like fucking Christ. Like, <laughs> and it's, it's just uh, the question is, uh, well, you brought it up. Why? Why did it have to be why tied did it, into yeah, Cloverfield? Why did it have to be tied into um, Cloverfield? You have a brilliant story, right? In a broader there. sense, why did you need to answer that? Like, it would have been so much more interesting if you said, "Maybe I don't know." Like, because that's a thing she she struggles with. The main character struggles with is, should I risk going outside where he says the air is toxic and there are aliens, or should I risk staying in here? Do I think he's lying? Do right. I think he's crazy? But everything he's saying is true. Like, you know, there's so many. Oh, yeah, so many imagine questions. imagine the brilliant fucking movie you could have had, and if- they freaking answer every single kept it in the bunker and just ended it without her or us finding out the truth yeah and the problem is is you answer every single question and don't do that don't show your monsters don't answer the questions yeah so that was such a for all you future horror film filmmakers out there don't answer all your questions don't show the monster unless you absolutely have to and if you absolutely have to save it until the end yeah that was my one issue with it follows was the the scene where the guy gets fucked to death. Yeah, we should. Where you actually see it happen. For many reasons. Um, but yeah, that was my least favorite. In terms of what I am most excited about, um, I'm actually really excited. It has a, It comes out like next week. Is um, uh, We have the same one. Don't I, Breathe. Yes. 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 I am so excited for Don't Breathe. Yeah. Um, God, like, doesn't it look fucking amazing? It looks so, and it's gotten very good early reviews. That being said, Lights Out did too, but I have higher hopes. Uh, <laughs> based yeah. on what happened but yeah no like that's and then again that's like such a blend of the suspense and like the isolation and it's just i'm very excited about that one well it, and it's original you know yeah it's, it's it's this the group of kids decide to rob a blind man and uh, turns and out the blind man surprise. can fend yeah. for himself a little bit and basically hunts them down in his own house right like it becomes a reverse home invasion movie yeah you know, where, and, and you know, you could argue in a couple home invasion movies, we, we see the invadees fight back, mm-hmm. but that is self-defense. And this movie, it's completely, our victim yeah. becomes the predator. Yeah. Um, and it, it looks really good. It looks really tense. Um, uh, I think it'll be well made. Um, Fetty Alvarez is directing. He did the Evil Dead remake. Um <laughs> Me personally, I. It was okay. I didn't. I didn't know that we needed the remake, but I, I appreciate the way he well went made. about doing it because it was basically, yeah. literally, as if you had done Evil Dead in 2013. Like, yeah, that's literally what I would have expected you to do with an Evil Dead remake. Very much so. So, uh, so I think it'll be really good, and yeah, I think it it comes out Friday. Yeah, it comes out really soon. I'm also kind of pumped about the Girl on the Train. Um, haven't yeah. read the haven't read the book. Um. It's a it's still on the bestsellers list, I believe, though. But um, really I'm, good, very Gone Girlish. People are saying it is. I've read the book. I will. I will kind of say we used this expression earlier. It's somewhat of a poor man's Gone Girl, mm. but um, but but of all these sort of you know Gone Girl esque stories mm. that I feel like have come out of Gone Girl, I think this is. The best one. The best one. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that, too. Awesome. And then eventually in 2017, we have the two-part It. 
Yes. Remake adaptation. And if you haven't seen <clears throat> um, Bill Skarsgård and his Pennywise updo, Pennywise updo um, we posted some pictures and an article on our Twitter. Check it out. Uh, he looks creepy as fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sent you a snap the other day when I went out running of the, the <laughs> of a of a drain. I sent it crying. I was like, Pennywise? Pennywise? <laughs> um, we all float down here. Oh, and we all freaky. float on splatter chatter. And we and that is a good way to start wrapping up. We all float on splatter chatter. On splatter chatter. Speaking of Twitter, so that was longer than we meant it to be, but it's fine because it was substantial. Hopefully was you substantial. hopefully out of that you got some recommendations. Um yeah, if nothing else. If nothing else. Um, and maybe you agree. Maybe those were on your list, too, and maybe you agree. Our next topic of conversation is going to be um, kind of going off of our least favorite releases. is kind of horror <laughs> misfires. Um, by this, though, I mean everything in the past many decades of horror that you were so excited about or thought were so good and sucked or things that came out and they were really good and did not age well. <clears throat> sequels that didn't need to happen, remakes that didn't need to happen, what have you. We're going to go through that next. Um, and then we've got a bunch of other cool stuff planned. Yeah. But we've got, we've got a lot of, a lot of good ideas for, oh, yeah. for weeks, and weeks, and weeks and weeks and weeks. <laughs> weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. For days and days. But, um, so our Twitter is splatter shadow six, six, six without vowels. <laughs> Without vows, you can I just think, if I think you, you can just search to... regular splatter chatter and it will yes. show up. Yes, and we, we we should come <clears> up. <throat> yeah, we will. Um, if you want to send us anything email wise, we are splatterchatter at gmail dot com. Um, without the six six six, just splatter chatter. Um, send comments, suggestions. If there's topics, if you just want to say hi, go for it. Also, feel free to leave an iTunes review or a comment on our YouTube videos. Those are always appreciated. Um, our Tumblr is splatterchatter.tumblr.com, um, and we'll post some stuff on there as well. Our personal Twitters, I am at Mel Moy on Twitter. And I am at Craigers on Twitter. That's two Gs. Two Gs. But yeah, um, I think this was a successful first go at it. Um, if nothing else, we so had too. fun. <laughs> yeah, we had fun. Um, we hope you guys had fun. We hope you'll stick around for... Yeah. We're looking at maybe two a month is our goal every other week or so to get a topic, but we're probably going to yeah. shoot for more during like October. That's and right. um, if we have films we want to review that we both saw, or if one of us saw it wants to do a solo review, we'll just put that up willy nilly. Who, who knows? Maybe very shortly we'll both be reviewing Don't Breathe. Yeah, no, I'm very excited about that. I will probably have a huge rant for when I force myself to go see <laughs> The wood slash Blair Witch. Oh boy, that's um, yeah. That'll be yeah. Goddamn. Well, well, we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we will see. But for now, we uh, I guess this is us closing out. Um, for now, yeah, we'll wrap it up for now. Thanks for tuning in for episode one, you guys. Indeed, go check out those films. Um, and let us know what you think again in reviews, comments, emails, Twitter, Tumblr, what have you. You have so many options. There's no excuse. <laughs> There's no excuse to get in contact with us on social media. But thank you. Au revoir. Adios. Bye. Bye.